So we just sang these lines. We just sang that my heart will cry, my bones will sing. What does it mean for your bones to sing? You ever wonder? Like we sing these things, we ought to think about what we're singing. Um, my dad, uh, who is now home with the Lord, um, he had the best singing bones in the world. His tone out of his mouth was not great. And that's putting it kindly. He knew that. He could not carry a tune in a bucket. Uh, but he sang with all of his might. Every Sunday, he sang his heart out. And when I say that my dad's bones sing, it means that the truth of God so sank into him that that imagery of the Lord knocking at the door, it's not that he would ever wait to, to open the door. The moment he heard a knock of Jesus, he would rush to meet Jesus at the door and welcome him in. So it kind of like just oozed out of him, the truth of what we talk about, the joy that we talk about, building your life on the love of God, oozed out of my dad. I think that's what it means for your bones to sing. So here's the great news. Some of you who know you don't sing very well, I want to invite you, belt it in this room. Amen? Belt it. Sing it out. This is not American Idol. It's not a singing competition. You belt that thing. But more than that, let your bones sing. Let it get so into you that it's just like, yeah, that guy doesn't sing very well, but he sings amazing. I don't even know what it is. And that's sort of the mystery of being a Christian. Um, that ties in everything with what we're going to be talking about this morning. Let me show you. If, if you want to turn to a verse, I promise you we're not going to get there for a long time. So just trust me, we'll get there. We're a Bible church. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that's where we're going to land eventually, okay? Uh, but it's going to take a little while to get there. Um, I'm reading this new devotional book. I read several devotional books almost every year. I like to read a day at a time and just from different streams. This was by a guy named Paul David Tripp. It's a devotional book called New Morning Mercies. And it's from that line we just sang from Great Is Your Faithfulness, that God's mercies are new every morning. And uh, I think it was in the introduction, but he said this. He said, it's the one place where 10 out of 10 of us need rescue. We're not going to take a poll, but think about this for a second. What is the one place that 10 out of 10 people that you look at, including yourself in the mirror, need rescue? What would that be? What unites us? Here's what he suggests, and I agree with him. The one place is thinking it's all about me. It's all about me. Well, here's what I'm here to tell you. It's not about you. Really. All of last year, not about you. This coming 2023, it's not about you. Not in the big things, not in the small things. I want you to think for a moment, just because we have the bookend of a year that just happened, it's kind of convenient to think of 2022. If you can remember back that far, <laughs> think about last year and think about how much um, conflict and stuckness that goes on. Some of this is in our minds. Some of us who are introverts, we don't express what we're thinking, but we're rolling these conversations and these scenarios over and over and over. That's what I mean by stuckness. Think of how much conflict and stuckness is tied back to thinking it's all about me. Thinking it's all about me is a kind of lens that we look through 
By the way, when I put this up, we were testing this, and Phil goes, that's pretty dark. And I said, thematically or like the light tone? And he's all both. So I know this is a little bit dark, but thinking it's all about me is actually like a lens that we look through that we don't even know that we're, that we're looking through it. It affects every single other thing. Now, human hearts have always been really self-focused. The Bible tells us that. History tells us that. My own experience yesterday tells me that. The human heart has never been more or less self-focused than it is right now. It's just that now we have tools that kind of prove this is true, right? We have tools to show, um, you know, the selfie stick was the early version, but now people are like, done with that. I'm taking way too many of myself. I'm just using my God-given selfie stick, my arm. And so, um, and so we have sort of these, you know, like hashtag carefully cultivated image that you want to project to the world. Here's an interesting thing. There's an app called Be Real. Some of you have heard of this. And Be Real is sort of a pushback against, um, you know, sort of like constantly projecting this certain part of yourself. The idea is that you sort of, you know, do this thing. But, but here's the reality. So here's the concept. By the way, so for those of you who don't know, it's snap pictures, videos of yourself at a given time. See what your friends are doing. And be real. I just do exactly in the moment what you're doing. Well, here's the reality. Let's be honest. Okay? Instead of just being real, let's be honest. Um, do you, those of you who, who use, who uses be real? Just, just raise your hand. I'm not going to bash on you for it. My, my family does, absolutely. I've had others in our family who would do it. Okay, be honest for a second, and I'm not going like, to call you out on this, but just think about it. Do you click and post, or do you click, check, re-click, check, then post? Okay? Now, it doesn't have to be the, 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 the Be Real app, but I know I have been part of several Be Reals, okay, over the weeks, months, however long this thing's been going on, and I know in my home, we, we click and check, and then sometimes we go, no, we got to do that one again. So it's like, be sort of real. Be real, kind of. That's sort of, that's sort of what's going on with that. Okay, now, it's easy, it's easy to bash on social media. It's easy to bash on selfies and those kinds of things. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think that's a really fun concept. It's a super fun way to stay connected. All that is is a tool to just reveal, though, how we want to be perceived, what we are doing, what we're up to, what we're eating. What is Matt's phrase? Matt says the, uh, the phone eats first. Is that right, Matt? The, the, no, you, you weren't the one that said that? Oh, <laughs> true confession time. Um, but the idea that the, 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 phone, the phone eats before I do, I need, I need to get a, a, a picture of this. Um, now, many people um, say unashamedly, without guilt, without any hesitation, of course it's about me. Of course it's about me. It's about me and mine, caring for me and mine. This has always been the dominant culture because this is what comes natural. If you are feeling at all attacked right now, the reason I said 10 out of 10 of us need rescue in this, is we are born into a mindset and a mode that says, of course it is about me. Who else is it about? That's what comes natural. Uh, It is why in the Bible, in fact, that we are commanded to be selfless. We are commanded to put other people's needs ahead of ourselves. We are commanded to love others as we would love ourselves. We are commanded, men, to love and nourish our wives, cherish our wives, as we do our own body. Why are we commanded things unless it comes supernaturally? That's the only way that that comes to us is supernaturally. Naturally, 
we care for ourselves. Naturally, we put our own needs above the needs of other people. Now, that's, that's true of some people. They just say, of course it's about me. I have no problems with that. But I think most Christians I've ever met would say this. Of course, it's not about me. It is not about me. I would agree with that statement. It is not about me. Now, that's true in theory. The question is, not for your cousin who claims to be a Christian, not for that neighbor that goes to church but doesn't act like it, for you, the truth is this then. If it's true in theory, is it true in practice? Do we live like what we know to be true? We just sang the song, I will build my life on your love. Wonderful passage of scripture that says, I have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. We can know it's not about me and live like it's all about me, right? Am I in good company here? 10 out of 10 of us need rescue in this. Okay, good. I see some nodding heads. Um, so, so what we want to talk about today is, is this battle. Uh, so it's, it's all about me is the battle that sort of is beneath the surface of every other battle that, that, that you face, every other conflict that you face. And a lot of these are internal, right? Go left or right, choose this or choose that. Say yes to that, say no to that. These are the battles that sort of lurk. All about me is the battle that no one else can fight for you. And all about me is the battle that never stops. Now, I have some really, really great news that I'm going to get to. But that's the sobering reality. Paul David Tripp goes on to say this in that same little intro. He said that it's all about me sidetracks our thoughts and kidnaps our desires. You ever have your thoughts sidetracked? You ever had your desires just, just kidnapped? It feel like they were just yanked away from you and you go, why am I desiring this thing? Why am I falling into this temptation? Nothing in life more readily and steadily points out our need for God than the thoughts that run through our head that keep bringing it back to thinking it's all about me. God's rescue of us, when we call him Savior, is is a salvation, maybe first and most, from ourselves. And rescue he does. God sets up the whole storyline of the Bible that it is not about us. And much to some of our surprise, that is crazy good news. Your ultimate good and your ultimate happiness actually depend on it not being about you. So, turns out it's not about you. That's a good thing. After the fall in the garden, God banishes Adam and Eve from a place of perfection. Why? Is he cruel? Is he misguided some way? Is he, uh, is he angry that they're sinning and so he's going to sort of punish them back, like hurt them back? I would submit to you that God's not just ticked off and so he's squashing a bug like, I, you're, you're annoying me, get out of my presence. That's what some of us have been handed and are being handed in our homes. That is not the way of God. God is saving them, Adam and Eve, from themselves. Think of this. He was blocking their futile attempt at finding meaning or purpose or goodness apart from him. I will trust in you alone. We just sang that, right? 
I will trust in you alone. That's a really important phrase. What did Adam and Eve do? They trusted the word of someone other than God about how to find happiness, about how to find meaning, about how to know what is true and good. So God frustrates their plans at that. He does the same with us. Think about this. Think back on 2023 and ponder the places where maybe God was frustrating your plans to seek happiness apart from God. Maybe those things that you prayed for and prayed for and prayed for and they didn't come true and you go, God doesn't answer prayer. Maybe in five years or now, you'll look back on that and go, oh, thank you, God. You were actually frustrating my plans to to seek something. I was putting that way above you. I didn't see it at the time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is why it's so good to stop and reflect and think on what we are doing. It's always been this way, and he's told us this really, really plainly. As a family, we we began a new sort of storybook Bible by a pastor named Kevin DeYoung. And I've done some research on it, super excited about it. And as we read through this... Um, it's, sort of a, it's sort of a Bible that, um, that, that takes the whole arc of the story of Scripture, and over the next year or so, we're going to sort of read that so we kind of get like a 10,000-foot level. It's flying across the United States in an airplane in a few hours versus driving a car through it. When you fly over it, you're like, wow, the Midwest is giant, or just that, that section like leaving Reno and entering whatever's next. Um, that's a big, 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 big chunk of land. Right, And that's what we're doing with the, with the Bible, with this storybook Bible. And in that, we read the four most foundational words in the whole of Scripture. And they're found at the very beginning. Genesis 1, verse 1, is really our text for today. Many of you know what these four words are. It's, in the beginning, God. There's nothing that rocks your world more or the world more than those four words. It sets up every other thing that will follow. In the beginning, God. Is world history about you? No. Is, Is all of my plans and all of that, apart from God, amount to anything? Absolutely not. In the beginning, God. This is what sets us up for success at everything else. In fact, these words are sort of the answer to underlying questions that haunt and plague us. God, his plan, his purpose, his design, his truth, his glory. As we align with that, we actually align with reality. We align with how we were designed and created to live. Now, of course, this all about me nature that we have skews our growth in God. So every attempt at growing in God is sort of like infused and infected with it being all about me. Now, I won't have you raise your hands, but this is, this is a wonderful thing. If I were to raise your hands, we'd see a giant wide range of, of truth here. For some of you, the room is too hot right now. For some, it's too cold. For some, it's just like Goldilocks, anyone? For some, the sound was too loud. For some, too quiet. For some, just right. For some, the song choices were, were way too long, and for some, way too short, and some, just right. I could just go on and on and on, right? You're like, yeah, Dave, your sermon already is too long for me. <laughs> Sorry, buckle up, because there's more coming. 
Now, here's the thing. We, we come to church, why? To grow in God. We come to meet with God. I love, thank you, team. I love that before I even get up here, I just go, well, I've met with God, I've feasted on God, I've set my mind already on the great faithfulness of God, on how great God is, on the fact that I'm building my life on his love. I, I, really, I really worshiped and filled up. If we just said amen and, and ended the service, we'd feel a little ripped off, but like, man, it was really great. But we can come to church with a mindset of saying, God, I want to grow in you. I want to feast on you. I want to set my mind and heart's attention on you, just like we were invited to do at the beginning. And partway through or many times through the morning, can't we turn it back on us? I do. I turn it back on me all the time. In fact, everything we're doing here today is actually on the table to be evaluated, including the preacher preaching. Why are we doing what we're doing? To what end? That's what we're looking at. So as apprentices of Jesus, think about the first disciples, the first who sort of like followed Jesus. You know how they were described? Slow of heart. Don't you, don't you identify with the disciples of Jesus much of the time? He's doing one thing that we kind of grasp more because we have the end of the Bible written. But in the moment, it's so confusing. I think I'll pull out a sword and chop this guy's head off. Oops, I missed. I got his ear. That's Peter, Right? Should we call down fire and thunder? We saw you do some cool things, Lord. These guys are messing with you. I mean, the disciples of Jesus get it wrong over and over and over and over again. Aren't you glad it's not about them? What a messed up story. What a messed up lineage we'd have. Aren't you glad it's not about you? Phew! Like, that's so actually relieving. So, this morning, and maybe many times through the morning, when you find yourself making it back about you, Reset and just go, Lord, let this be about you. This is what preachers who are in the service of God do before they walk up, worship leaders before they get up. Many times we do this as a group. We call out to God, this is not about you. We're not performing up here. God, I want to deliver a great sermon to feed and guard our flock, not to make my name look great. I'll, I'll give you a glimpse inside me. That's a temptation all the time. There are times mid-sermon, I have to just go, Lord, Help this not be about me, okay? So as we're sitting and listening, as we're up here doing things, all that we do is sort of on the table to view. So this morning, it's a clear call to think about just what it is we are doing here today. Um, I want you to look at this screen uh, for a second. Oops, how about that screen? This is our title slide for the morning. What I don't want you to do is I don't want you to read this as an angry accusation question. Maybe some of you have an adult authority figure in your life and you can't read this without cringing a little bit. You sort of like viscerally react to it. Maybe because you were asked that a lot in anger growing up. That is not the question being asked. I do want to sort of arrest your, your attention and so I put up that question in a provocative way on purpose. Here's what it is. It is a sincere question aimed at getting you to stop and think about the end goal of your spiritual activities. I hesitate to put spiritual activities because all of life is worship. Is that right? Most of you will go to work or school tomorrow. Yay, school! No? No amens? Um, And those jobs are not specifically Christian. They're not ministry jobs. A tiny handful of us will go to work tomorrow, yours truly, and I will be doing a Christian job. But that secular sacred divide is, is nowhere in Scripture. 
That is something we've sort of man-made put on. So that means this, as you go to class tomorrow morning, as you work hard at home to tend to the many things that need to go on to make a home great, as you commute and drive to your job, you are doing spiritual activities, right? But what I want to do today is sort of limit it to what we would think of as spiritual activities. Call out some spiritual activities. Going to church, what else? Prayer, read your Bible, what else? Worship, Bible study, fellowship, that's right, serving, maybe fasting, right? These are, these are the kinds of things that we, would, that we would say, yeah, those are spiritual activities. So that's sort of our, our narrow lens this morning that we're, that we're talking about. So what do you think is going to be accomplished both in you and around you as you do these spiritual activities? That's the question I want to put before you. What do you think you're doing? And the reason that we do this is because this gets skewed. This is about motives. It's about the underneath underlying battle. And saying as a Christian, it's not all about me and there's nothing better for my day than knowing that's true, than resetting my mind, it's not about me. So when I make it about me, God help me to repent of that because that's sin and help me to get a right focus on what's going on here. So as you read your Bible, help the needy, pray, join a Bible study, what is it you think is going to be accomplished both in you and around you through that activity? Now look at this picture for a second. Cute little family, looks like they're leaving church, right? And, um, and then the post-it note, safety zone on it with sort of a glass bubble around it. I was handed a, a habit from, uh, from my family to attend church on a regular basis. I was handed that habit, um, much of the time growing up, against my will. I didn't choose to go to church most every Sunday. Um, my, my dad volunteered me for that job. And so I showed up week after week. And eventually, my junior year of high school, I took on that practice, that habit, as a very important part of my discipleship with Jesus what it means to follow Jesus and make him Lord of my life is that I meet with the people of God. It is a wildly important habit to develop. However, all of us know that it's possible to attach meaning to church attendance that is never meant to be there. It's possible to think that getting into church is somehow going to like a a slot machine or a genie wish or blow a dandelion, I don't know, wish upon a star, like sort of change things in our favor. Maybe even obligate God to sort of help us out with this deal coming up. Help us out with this relationship that's broken. Help us out with this sin and this guilt that's plagued us. Man, that is just a common thing of all of us humans. So a lot of things can get attached to the things that not only that we do, but places we go, right? So church being one of them that are not from God. It's a matter of getting the treasure mixed up with the vessel. And so even as we talk and evaluate spiritual activities, keep thinking about that, sort of this idea, what is the real treasure? And here's an example. Today's going to be a call to join a community group. And what we say is this, the value that we are pursuing as a church 
week in and week out is community. The vessel is a community group. Do you see the difference? A community group is a program to sort of help foster community, but community groups can come and go. That program could could just wash away, and the eternal value of community that God wants to foster in us will never, ever, ever, ever go away. So if you join a community group and it doesn't go how you thought it was and you prayed and said, God, am I making this all about me? And he says, no, he's not. And you just go, okay, don't give up on community. Maybe that community group wasn't functioning really well. Maybe you were in a season where you weren't receiving really well. I don't know. But the community group is the vessel. The treasure is community itself. That's just one example. So what do you think you're doing has everything to do with keeping focused on the majors and not the minors. Let me show you or just tell you an amazing statistic. A 2021 study found that 75, think about this number, 75 to 100 churches closed during the 2010s per week. Every week for a decade, 75 to 100 churches closed their doors. Now, it's not because of outside forces limiting our religious freedom. Isn't there a bunch of talk, like just stirred up constantly that our religious freedom is being taken? I think some of that's actually true. But far more at danger is from the inside out. These were churches that locked from the inside out. Why? Because the life had left them. Sucked all the life out. It was gone. No government agency forced them to close their doors. They weren't limited from singing at a certain decibel or any of that nonsense. It closed from the inside out. Churches die for lack of vision. People perish for lack of vision. In fact, churches are people. Long before a church actually closes, signs of death are present. Here's a hunch about some of those 75 to 100 per week that for the last 10 years have been closing. First of all, numbers tend to slowly dwindle. Numbers rising and falling isn't the best barometer all the time. Because if you look at Jesus' ministry, there are times he had large numbers, and he drew a line in the sand and said, anyone who wants to follow me has to do these things. What What do the numbers do? They tank. Why? Because Jesus is saying, you don't just get the freebies. Like, come be my disciple. Come trust me with all of your life. That sounds really hard. It is. Peace out. So numbers going up and down isn't always a bad thing, right? But numbers tend to dwindle with dying churches. As passion fades in a dying church, going through the motions begins to permeate the place. People just find themselves going through the motions. Handshakes, hugs, and high fives are replaced with cool nods or cold stares. You ever been in a church and felt judged? Isn't that awful? That's awful. I think you should go to a church and feel convicted, but not by other people. I think you ought to feel convicted either by their goodness. Maybe you just see their life and go, I'm convicted. I'm not living like that. But mostly, I hope you're convicted from the Holy Spirit. But there are so many stories of people who, who tell me. I, everywhere I go, I'm always telling people I'm a pastor. It opens up good conversations. Many, many people tell me the hurts of the church against them. And I don't try to defend it. I say, you know what? I can promise you people in our church have felt judged by a cold stare of someone else. That breaks my heart. We're striving to be against that. We want to be known as a place where people come in, they go, 
I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Those songs are kind of cool, but I don't know what they even mean. But there's a sense of genuine love here. I can't even explain it. Good, because that's supernatural love. The presence of the Lord ought to be in the gathering of his saints. And I love that that's here. Not that we've arrived, but that's a common thing here. How about this? Services and practices go on in dying churches for long periods of time. But what happened is the soul is sucked out of it. So if it's happened to a ton of good people just like us meeting together doing the thing, what's to say it won't happen to us in 2023? What's to say it won't happen to us in the next 10 years that that we become some statistic that some pastor is quoting at some new church because this church folded? I'm here to stoke the fires. Okay, that's what I'm here doing. Let me show you a few verses. These are written down in your notes this morning. But 1 Timothy 6 says this, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Remember the treasure? Treasure and vessel. He doesn't say guard your church building. Set up security guards. Make sure that order of service is exactly how I want it. Make sure the band always has X number of people and no more. Whatever. He says, guard the deposit entrusted to you. He says, avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. 1 Peter 5.8, listen to this. Be sober-minded and watchful. What do you think you're doing? Think about it. Be sober about it. Be watchful about it. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And Jesus said quite simply, be on your guard, keep awake. So that's a part of what we're doing here. It's just stoking the fires of what we're doing. How are we to know what we're to guard against? Unless we're in the word. Unless we're in tune with the spirit. Unless we're in community. I promise you, your biggest blind spots are called blind spots. Why? Because you can't see them. I'm going through the driver's handbook with one of my kids. And we're doing practice tests. That's, that's how my days are filled right now. I'm, I'm, I'm doing these things. And you can check all of your mirrors and you still have blind spots. Everything we talk about today, we'll, we'll have blind spots where we will need other people around us to know what we're even supposed to be guarding against. How can we know the way of what we are for, what's the path forward, unless we're in the Word? Unless God reveals it to us. Unless our community helps, helps walk with us. So the Christian life, not just about reading your Bible, not just about church attendance, not just about serving. Although I think all three of those things are wildly important. I'm going to call them to you to, to it today. But it's cooperating with what God is doing. Remember when I promised that I, we'd get to Ephesians 1-4? We're here. All right, look at Ephesians 1-4. This is Eugene Peterson's The Message. And I want you to just look at probably for Christians. I hope this is a crazy familiar passage to you. This is a really great chapter to just, just read all of it. It's super good. But let me just take a little snippet, and the way that Eugene Peterson translates it is perfect. It says this, long before he laid down the earth's, long before he laid down earth's foundations, by the way, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God, what did he do? Laid down the earth's foundations. Okay, so there it is. Long before that, he had us in mind, had settled on us, as the focus of his love, if you want to call out two words, look at these two, to, make, to be made whole and holy. 
in his love. It's really hard to summarize 66 books of the Bible to boil down what is the one thing God is trying to accomplish in you, but this is a pretty great passage to make you whole and holy by his love. What is God up to? Aligning people to their original design. To be in perfect union with God and therefore in perfect union with one another and with all of creation. Whole and holy is what God is up to in your life. Whole and holy is what God's up to in your life. Now here's the catch. Whole and holy is not what most people are naturally after. Most people are after happy. Another H sound, but altogether different. Whole, holy, happy. Tegan and I were talking about some subject. I'm not even sure what it was, but I remember her saying this. She says, Dad, oh, I, I know what it was, but I won't say it. She said, Dad, don't you want me to be happy? And I said, no, absolutely not. I want you to be holy. I thought I got her with like a zinger pastor dad moment. Here's what my young theologian said. Can't I be both? Yes! Nailed it! Good job, Tegan. Boom! When you have a pastor's and dad, you got to look for the zingers back. Like that was the counterpunch. That's exactly right. Yes, you can, but not in the way you're wanting right now, Tegan. That was, the, that was probably the answer I was thinking. <laughs> Our greatest happiness. If you want to actually go after happy, align yourself with what God's doing. That's it. Align yourself with what God is doing. He does want happiness in us by being made holy, but the journey to get there is like nothing you or I would ever pick. I was on the phone with my buddy Philip. By the way, Tuesday, you could pray. This room is going to be filled with uh, South Bay Area pastors, some is from as far away as maybe San Francisco, and I think we have some uh, coming from, from East Bay. But once a year, we gather the, the 200 plus churches for Foster the City, and we gather the pastors together, and we resource the church with something called the Church Resource Kit. It's a way to just keep stoking the fires for that church, that local body of believers, to keep raising up and supporting foster families. It is a difficult spiritual work to be a foster parent. And it takes a whole community of Christians putting other people's needs in front of their own. And so Tuesday, we're going to have a bunch of pastors in this room receiving um, encouragement to keep going. Some of our churches have been in it as long as us. For seven years, we've been doing this. Some are brand new, months old in the coalition. So they're going to come and get to sort of see what's going on. In a couple of days, we're doing another one in the East Bay. In a couple more days, we're doing one up in Petaluma for the the North Bay area. So hundreds and hundreds of churches this week are going to be resourced with a fresh vision and fresh tools to keep raising up foster families. Philip is the one who heads it all up. Philip's been here. He's led worship for us. He's preached for us before. He's a close buddy of mine. I knew he was on a sabbatical. And, um, and I saw a post, I actually got word via, via Facebook about this. Um, but Philip had been praying on a sabbatical. He said, God, I, I want to be reconnected to joy. Would you fill me with joy? 
And on the last week of his sabbatical, his house burned down. Happened to be the week of Christmas, a few days before Christmas. So I saw the post, immediately picked up the phone, called him and said, buddy, how are you doing? What's going on? How can I be with you in this? So sorry to hear this. Kind of walked me through the story, said what went on. You guys, if you know anything about fire, once smoke damage gets in there, I mean, the, the house was saved, uh, but they have to live elsewhere for six months. Um, it's it's going to be a giant hit. And he said to me, he said, Davey, I, you know, I was praying for joy. And he said, I was hoping for some good coffee and a, you know, a little bit of time away in nature to sort of replenish my soul. And he brought up James 1. James 1 comes to mind. Consider it all joy when you encounter what? Various kinds of trials. Why on earth? Why on earth would you consider it a joy when you experience various kinds of trials? I'll tell you what has no answer for that. It's all about me. It's all about me and my comfort means I want good coffee and some good nature to kind of fill me up, replenish me for the next season. Consider all joy when you encounter various kinds of trials, knowing what? That the testing of your faith will produce character, perseverance, all these things. It's going to produce something amazing in you. Now, I love my friend Philip, so I was able to encourage Philip with these words. I said, God is treating you, Philip, like a true son. A true son gets disciplined. A true son gets pruned in the Lord to change metaphors. Things cut back so that an even greater harvest is going to come from your life. Philip is not just saying the right things in this hard season. I know my buddy Philip. He's living the right things. And he's going to need daily prayer to just keep in that place. Because the enemy wants to come and whisper all kinds of different messages in there. Church, hear me really clearly. Each and every one of you are going to face unimaginably hard things, potentially this coming year. Myself included. Lives can get changed with a single phone call. You've been there. There are things that you will say this year. You can never swallow them back. You've said them. They're out there now. And that sets off a whole different chain of events that go on. Knowing that it's about God, knowing that God has you, knowing that you are his and he never leaves you, knowing that you are aligning your life with him changes everything. Now, keeping in mind the why, let me close this morning by moving on to a couple of what's. If we get right to the what, to the activity, then, we, then I actually could possibly foster a misunderstanding of why attend church, why read the Bible, why do these different activities. Do you see that? I, I, could, I could major on that. And, and you just keep thinking, what's wrong with me? I need to read more. What's wrong with me? I need to have greater faith. What's wrong with me? I need to stop sinning in this area. And without having this, this deep foundational what God is up to, and what he's doing in us, we will just get this all wrong. God is making us whole and holy. That's his agenda. And he uses trials to accomplish that. I don't even need to ask, 10 out of 10 of you wish that weren't true. 10 out of 10 of us need rescue from it's all about me. 10 out of 10 of us wish that it weren't true that we grow through trials. God, isn't there another way? Doesn't that sound like Jesus? Oh God, is there any other way this could be accomplished? 
And a huge test of faith on a regular basis is us trusting the Father's work. Just trust me. Take my hand. We're going into the valley of the shadow of death. I'm with you. Let me give you a simple phrase that sort of captures some of the activity that I want to move toward. Keep in fellowship around the word. Keep in fellowship around the word. I'll kind of get to that in a moment. But let me just say that my family and I, several of our family members and I, just invested roughly 10 hours of our life to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Now, the fact that this isn't my first go-around means an embarrassingly large part of my life has been spent watching these movies. But we really enjoyed it. We had some extra time over Christmas, and we were kind of watching this. Let me just walk you through some things that are really profound about this. The fellowship is formed around a great purpose that is far-reaching to all of Middle Earth. The fellowship is formed by various kinds and tribes that normally war against each other. The fellowship has several members, each with a specific role that only works as they strive at this goal together. The fellowship is ever watched and opposed by evil. It is under threat of breaking up from internal strife and from external foes. The fellowship is mysteriously successful. Little things keep moving the mission forward that cannot be explained. And the fellowship walks by faith and not by sight each step of the way. I'll stop, but I could keep going. As I watched and thought about this, it, it just leaps out at you that human, you are called into a fellowship with Christ. We are called into a fellowship with Christ. And this fellowship is the called out people of God, the church. That's what the church is. We are a local visible expression right now of the called out holy ones of God. And everything that I just said about the fellowship in the Lord of the Rings trilogy is true of us. Purpose, various warring tribes that come together, each member with a specific role, opposed by evil, walking by faith, and mysteriously successful. The fellowship of Christ has tried to be stamped out over and over and over again, and Jesus' words just keep coming true in every generation. What are they? That my church will survive. Right? That the enemy is going to come against it, but my church will survive. And this fellowship doesn't center around a ring of power, right? But it does center around a book of power. Supernatural book called the Bible. We are a people of the book. It is the Bible that guides us in our quest. It is the Bible that shields us from self-harm and self-delusion. It is the Bible that comforts us and encourages us to press on when all of hope seems lost. It is the Bible that is our sword of truth that demolishes every stronghold of evil evil that hold people captive, including ourselves. It's the Bible that feeds, corrects, and teaches us. It settles our disputes within us. It aligns us back to reality. We fellowship around the word. 
In fact, this is a basic requirement of an NBC community group. As we form community groups, most every group follows the sermon series. And we do that for a really practical reason. We've already invested time and effort into a text, into a portion of Scripture. Like a college course that has a teaching portion, a lecture, but then also has a hands-on portion, the lab, we sort of run off of a lecture lab format here at NBC. This is the lecture. Midweek is where we discuss and press on each other and go, how does this get into my bones? I want my bones to sing. Let's talk about it. Let's figure out how does this, how does this meet your spot. Part of why we do this too is it's powerful to have a whole community thinking, praying, and growing in a particular place of the scripture around a particular topic. So while it's the norm to follow the sermon series, sometimes community groups branch off and cover a a certain topic. They might say, you know what, I really need to grow in the spiritual disciplines. Let's take six weeks and study that. Maybe someone says, I've got this great material and we want to go through it. I want to go through this book of the Bible because it's meaningful. So an NBC community group may branch off and do that. But here is a requirement. The group must fellowship around the word. We've boiled down what it means to be a community group to those simple words because of this. It guards that group from simply being a place where you learn more and more and may love less and less. I will build my life on your love and your love will lead me to love people around me. Some of you have been in these kinds of Bible study groups. More and more knowledge, more and more puffing up. Where there's no outflow to a a, a body of water, it gets stagnant and gross. And that's what it can be like if you just keep pouring in. It's far more comfortable to keep learning more and more and more and never be held accountable to do any of it. Jesus knows nothing of that kind of discipleship. So that guards against that. But it also guards a group against making it all about me, my highs and lows, my troubles and triumphs. Endless discussion about what's happening in my life and my relationships and my dreams and my plans and my hurts and my past. Do you see how those two, you guys have been in groups. It's easy to get off on one of those two things. The word is barely mentioned, if at all, because it's, it's just fellowship. Or there's no connection, no fellowship, no one another, no bridging of warring tribes, no differences, because we're all just learning. So we're learning here, we're learning midweek. Fellowship around the word kind of, kind of guards against that. So twice a year, once in the fall and once at the start of the year, we have like an on-ramp Sunday to call people into community. So that is this Sunday. I am calling you to join a community group. By joining a community group, uh, quite simply, you are doing with your time what you say with your mouth. Most Christians would say people are vastly important. They're going to last forever. They're eternal. On my deathbed, I know I won't, I won't want to hold and stroke my, my you know, jo- job plaque for like being the best employee or the belt buckle I got at my 25th year you know, uh, whatever, celebration, my anniversary, my trophy from sixth grade soccer. Like that, those aren't the things you're going to call for, right? You want, you want the people around you that, that, that mean the most to you. So we know that to invest in people is the way of God. It's the way of the people of God. And part of what a community group does, it just says, God, on this section of my week, I know it's not about me. I'm going to reinforce that with my schedule. And I'm going to, at times, let's be honest, put up with people who might annoy me a little bit. 
Is that allowed to be said in church? Absolutely. Carol's looking at me. She's like, yeah, Dave, you annoy me. You're my community group. I got you, sister. Right back at you. Um, Just kidding. (laughs) Of all the people I could say, Carol, I'm kidding. You know that. Um, You get around people, and here's the thing. If you go week after week to a community group, and you go, what am I getting out of this? You'll miss it, won't you? You will. Like, it's, it's sort of incremental, the way that, 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 that this goes. So, so over time, as you're doing it, you look back and go, you know what? It, it has been a good thing for me to invest in just getting around other Christians midweek. Not think about it, not talk about it, not text about it, not plan on it someday. Doing it. If you're like me, the pastor who's trying to drive this program forward, it will be hard to get there midweek. A thousand and one reasons will keep you from thinking it's a good thing to go at 6.30 on some midweek night to get out to a place to, 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 to do this. You have to fight for it. So, if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you four things. One is to join a community group. Oh, there's so much good to this theme that I'm not going to talk about. But our theme this year is get moving. Okay? And here's all, here's all I'm going to say about it. Break away from static. Break away is a cycling term. Go back and listen to this message from last fall if you want. But... Static has to do with inactivity. Something that's static, you know, a breakaway from static is like, you, you do that by changing your calendar, by get moving. God's on the move, get on the move. But the other use of static is the whole idea of, um, you know, interference. Things on the phone, like, what? You're breaking up. I was on a phone call uh, yesterday, and who, it was Jen. I think, I think Jen and I were talking. Were, were we talking yesterday? Okay, I'm losing my mind. It was you, Catherine! <laughs> Oh, you can see the unplanned parts of my message. Catherine, Catherine and I are talking. And uh, it was that. I was like, I, what? So I'm like, Catherine, I, I stopped hearing you at this. So rewind and start from there again. And we tried that a couple times. And finally, we're like, we'll see you tomorrow. We'll just talk. We'll talk another time. Why? Because they were static. Here's quite possibly your biggest threat in 2023. You want to know what it is? Distraction. Distraction might be the biggest threat to all this inner life, all this growth you want to take place might be there. I, call, I was looking back at my last notes. I called Google and Amazon like modern day drug dealers. Like those are like digital drug dealers that just, they just dish out distraction, even if you don't buy stuff. I have like lists full of stuff. I'm never gonna buy it. I'm like, that's kind of cool. I'm gonna add that to that list. I don't even know why. I'm not gonna buy it. Ooh, I mean, we could... We just do this all day long. I should really stop. Seriously, I should stop. Honey, you should stop. I know. That's right. It's just, again, millions of dollars, a lot of smart people have figured out how, how to keep you doing this right here. Break away from static. A part of that is, you know what? You know what I'm not doing for an hour and a half at least midweek? I'm not scrolling anything during community group. That would look really bad. Would you share how you're doing in the Lord? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Next. I mean, that's just terrible, right? Lots of movement, but no progress. All right, that's number one. Join a community group. Or, here's the other thing. Just recommit to your group. We're going to dismiss today with all of our community group leaders in back with a smartphone and a clipboard. However you want to sign up for a group, we'll, we'll do it old school, new school. If your community group leader is here, just come and say, hey, I'm in again. January through May is this next season. I'm in. 
Just, just recommit. Keep doing what you're doing. Some of you, for the first time, you're like, I'm, I'm going to kind of risk, and I'm going to go join a community group. Come and do that. Here's number two. Number two is get started or keep going in a Bible reading program. You know what a Bible plan is? By the way, without a plan, you will not grow in your knowledge of the word. You won't. Some of you want to lose weight this, this year. Without a plan, you won't. Some of you want to repair a relationship. Without a plan, you won't. You'll just keep thinking, yeah, I'm going to do that someday. Some of you might want to run a triathlon this year. You won't without a plan, right? Here's what's great about a Bible reading program. By the way, these can be short or long. I tend to do year-long uh, Bible reading programs because I love that. Some of my kids hate that. They're like, that's so daunting. I'm doing a 10-day Bible reading program with my eight, nine-year-old. It's awesome. We read a couple verses every day. 10 days. We can do that. So it doesn't matter the length of time. But here's what a Bible program is like. It's like a little personal trainer for you. It tells you what to read by when. And you can shout at it. You can try to cajole it with compliments. It doesn't care. It's just going to keep telling you the truth. You're four days ahead or you're six weeks behind. Read this today. Get back on track. That's what it does. Here's why I say keep going. One of my kids is reading through the whole New Testament this year. And he was due to be done by December 31st. You know when he's going to finish? I don't either. But but at the rate he's going, it's probably going to be around March. He's almost there. So we're stuck back in like, I think we're at Halloween. I think we're on October 31st right now. That's okay. Look how much of the New Testament you've read this year. That's amazing. Let's keep going. Right? So... That's what a Bible reading plan is all about. Here's another one. Get baptized. For some of you, the first next step of faith is to do something you've been putting off. Or maybe be do something that you've just learned about for the first time because you're a brand new Christian. That is to publicly identify with Jesus Christ. Believer's baptism is just this idea of pulling on the Jesus jersey and saying, opponents, this is the team I'm on. Christians, this is the team I'm wearing. I'm on the Jesus team now, okay? That's what baptism is all about. It's a little like marriage vows. You don't do it week after week after week after week. You do it once. You publicly declare, I'm Jesus's. That's what that's, what that's about. We have an exploring um, baptism class that's coming up on February 5th. So you can sign up for that. Here's one more. Become a member of NBC or renew your membership. Here's how you renew your membership, by the way. Many of you are members of this church. Renew your membership just means go back and ponder. What does it mean to be a a member of this church? If you became a member within the last, I don't know, five, six years, then you've received a little book called I Am a Church Member. It's about 60 pages. Go back and reread it. Go back and rethink about what does it mean. Here's why. Why membership at a church? Quite simply, because church isn't a show that you attend, it's a family you join. That's what we're doing here. We're, we're a family, we're a fellowship that you join. And you solemnly vow to say, no, this is the local expression I'm going to be a part of. And before you join any church, you ought to go and explore membership. You ought to go and say, what does this church believe? What am I aligning myself with? What am I joining myself to? What am I committing to? So those are the kinds of things we cover at the Exploring Membership class. Let me just show you a screenshot. This lives on your, on your desktop. This is the, the desktop version. It also lives on your phone if, if you have the Church Center app. We have apps that just make it super easy. 
How do I sign up for the, for the baptism class? You open your app, you click do, you click register, done. That way we know that you're coming. You want to sign up for a membership class? You click that. It kind of tells you all the, the details and info. By the way, membership class is coming up January 22nd. Band, come on up here. We're going to close with one or two songs. I'm going to leave it to Lucas to decide that. We're a little bit over time. But would you just close your eyes and bow your heads just for a moment? God, as we started this morning with the idea of a knocking door and an invitation to open up and invite you in, God, that's, that's, what, that's what our hearts are. That's what we're doing here this morning. We are opening up to you. And even once we get here, the job's not done. God, you continue to need to pour your grace into our life to, to keep focused on what's actually going on here. God, we commit 2023 to you as individual Christians, but also as a church that is called to build itself up in love. So God, as members, we we are recommitting to even what we're doing here, how we're investing our Sundays, what we're doing when we meet as a community group, what we're doing when we go and open our Bibles or pray before a meal or have a day of fasting or God, go and serve in some way. Would you keep refreshing us from the inside out? Keep the soul there. Keep the life there, God. Keep us in line with whole and holy, your agenda, what you're working in and through us. In Jesus' name.